Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, the countdown to summer is on, and some health officials are calling Memorial Day weekend the first big test. What will tell us if we have passed, and would that mean the pandemic is officially over? We'll speak with Blanchard Valley Health Systems, Dr. Bill Coes. Also this morning, after a hotter than normal spring, what does summer have in store? We'll get the outlook for the season's long-term trends from the experts at AccuWeather. And we have a collection of fun and easy summertime recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, May 28th, 2021. If you are looking for a reason to celebrate today, it is Don't Fry Day, uh, also known as National Heat Awareness Safety Day. When I first saw that it was Don't Fry Day, I thought to myself, well, yes, don't fry, grill. (laughs) But that's not what they're talking about. It is uh, National Heat Awareness Safety Day. So not going to have a whole lot of heat uh, this Memorial Day weekend, as it turns out. And um, it's kind of ironic because we had all of that heat for a week and a half leading up to Memorial Day and then a cool Memorial Day weekend, but uh, it is what it is. We'll enjoy it anyway. Also, International Hamburger Day today. It is National Brisket Day. National Wig Out Day, which is not, you know, going crazy and wigging out that way. It's actually wearing wigs. I, I Yeah, I don't know. But National Wig Out Day and National Death Busters Day, which sounds very uh, ominous, very Adams Family-ish, you know? Uh, National Death Busters Day. I think about all the things we do to defy death. So, uh, Memorial Day weekend is upon us, and just in time, the new list of the best beaches in the country is out. Uh, Just in time for summer travel season, Dr. Stephen Leatherman from Florida International University, also known as Dr. Beach, uh, always puts this list out every year, the best beaches in the country, and Hapuna Beach State Park on Hawaii's Big Island is number one in the country. uh, Hawaii's beaches always are right up there at the top, and uh, I remember... A few years ago, my wife and I went to Hawaii, and the best beach in the country that year was on Oahu, which was the island we spent time on, and I tried to find the beach that was supposedly the best beach in the country, and I couldn't find it. Well, we found it, but we couldn't figure out how to get there because it was surrounded by homes and there was no access. We couldn't figure out how to access the beach, so... But this is a state park, so should be good to find it if you head to the Big Island sometime this year. Hapuna Beach State Park, number one beach in the country. Uh, Dr. Beach notes its contrast of black lava rock, white sand, and blue water. It's absolutely beautiful. Sounds beautiful. Uh, Cooper's Beach in Southampton, New York, comes in at number two. Uh, Ocracoke lifeguard, uh, Lifeguarded Beach and the Outer Banks of North Carolina is number three. Do I have that right? Okracoke? Okracoke? Uh, beach in the Outer Banks. 
The Outer Banks, obviously, very beautiful. Uh, let's see here. St. George Island State Park on the Florida Panhandle and Lighthouse Beach, also the Outer Banks, round out the top five. So there you go. If you are headed to the beach, those are the best ones to uh, pick from. So make sure that you're completely up to speed on that. It turns out, though, that we are more likely to visit places we are close to geographically rather than going to Hawaii or the Outer Banks or Florida, uh, which are more than a day's drive in most cases. Well, the Outer Banks, I suppose you can get there in a day. But anyway, you get the idea. Rather than visit places that are far away, researchers at MIT found that people around the world, and this is not just an American thing, people around the world follow a predictable travel uh, pattern. Visiting locations that are closer more often than faraway destinations, which I suppose makes sense. If they're closer, you're like more likely to visit more often. But uh, they call it the inverse law of visitation. <laughs> the co-author of the study, Carlo Rotti, says we might shop every day at a bakery a few hundred meters away, but we will only go once a month to the fancy boutique miles away from our neighborhood. And the same thing happens with vacations. Uh, there are a few exceptions to the rule. Uh, the data showed that certain activities in places, ports and amusement parks most notably, motiv motivated people to regularly travel slightly longer distances than we would otherwise, which, again, it makes sense. Uh, we would go to Sandusky to go to Cedar Point. We wouldn't necessarily go to Sandusky just to do some shopping. But anyway, researchers suggest their findings can help scholars of the urban environment better understand how populations interact with their surroundings, as well as assist city planners with things like zoning, infrastructure, and other development decisions. So, and I suppose we can relate to how we travel uh, now that we're into travel season. One thing you will not see this Memorial Day that you usually do uh, sales on automobiles. Cars, uh, automobile uh, dealers, manufacturers, not running their usual blowout deals. Usually Memorial Day is a big time for that. Instead, pent-up demand following pandemic lockdowns and the ongoing semiconductor chip crisis means the cars are in short supply. So it is the old uh, law of supply and demand. Because supply is tight, demand is high, and that means discounts are harder to come by. J.D. Power's forecast shows auto sales continue to boom. Retail sales expected to rise 34% compared to May of last year and 10.6% compared to May of 2019, which obviously would be the last pre-COVID time. I mean, it's not a surprise that... Demand is way up over last year. We were in the throes of the pandemic, but even higher than it was two years ago when we were not dealing with COVID. And since automakers don't need to entice buyers, the forecast puts the average price of a new car in May of this year at $38,255 and the expected average new car loan payment of $596. Average new car loan payment of nearly $600. That means 
There are a fair amount of people who are paying much, much more than that. But there is a bit of good news. J.D. Power says trade-in values are great right now. They are up, get this, nearly 108% since May of last year. Wow. More than double what they were a year ago. So kind of interesting stuff there. A couple of other uh, pieces of information here among the first things you need to know as you get your Friday morning started. This week, of course, Ohio gave away its first million dollars in its Vaximillion giveaway for those who have been vaccinated against COVID-19. Gave away a million dollars to an adult and a full-ride college scholarship to a youth. And not wanting to be outdone, California is launching the largest vaccine incentive program in the country. Ohio is the first to announce. And then other states followed suit, including New York, and they all have a bit of a different spin on it. Now, California has launched the largest vaccine incentive program in the country. Yesterday, Governor Gavin Newsom announced the Vax for the Win program. In all, $116 million in prizes to be given away in the Golden State. Next month, 10 grand prize winners will get $1.5 million. So, Ohio is giving away a million. California, wanting to do one better, is going to give away $1.5 million to 10 grand prize winners. And not only that, 30 more California residents will win $50,000, and 2 million will get 50 bucks. And those who are vaccinated are automatically entered uh, in those drawings. So, kind of interesting. Uh, the various ways the different states are looking at that. And, of course, uh, while many states and local governments and businesses even are offering perks for people to get vaccinated against COVID-19, what was it, United Airlines? said they were going to have a uh, raffle for their rewards club members. Anyone who was vaccinated would be entered in a drawing for, like, free flights for a year. So... Some businesses even jumping on board here, offering perks for people to get vaccinated. But a Florida concert promoter has come up with an idea that is more stick than carrot for the unvaccinated. Tickets for a concert at the end of June in St. Petersburg, Florida, will have performances from three big bands in the world of punk rock. Uh, Teenage Bottle Rocket. Make War, and Rutterkin. I'm not familiar with any of those bands, but if you are into the punk rock scene, I guess those are big bands. So, if you want to go to the concert, tickets are $18 if you are vaccinated. If you are not vaccinated, they'll cost you (laughs) $1,000. How about them apples? Um, There are some $250 eighteen dollar tickets for sale and just four of the thousand dollar tickets none of the higher priced ones have been sold so far paul williams of leadfoot promotions tells abc news he came up with the idea when vaccination availability opened to everyone in florida and while trying to plan a concert that people could enjoy safely he decided to put those things together and encourage people to get vaccinated by giving them discount tickets 
He went on to say, I also wanted it to be a vaccine drive to get the fence setters, fin- fence sitters off the fence. Wanted to get the kids that want to go to shows and go out to get their shots so that we can all do that. So I have an interesting uh, idea there, isn't it? if you have been vaccinated and $1,000 for the show if you have not been vaccinated. So there you go. We'll see if it, uh, see if it works. Apparently it has because the uh, $1,000 tickets are, (laughs) people don't seem to be interested. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Rainy and windy today with a high of 59. More the same tonight, a low of 47. A Memorial Day parade and services will be held in Findlay on Monday. Bill Johns, president of the Hancock County Veterans Council, says it's so nice to have the parade back this year after being canceled last year because of the pandemic. It is just great. If it's anything like we had at the Armed Forces show, it'll be a fantastic parade. We had we packed it in out there this year and i think we're going to pack them in here we're memorializing the people that we've lost as veterans and we just love to have everybody come out and show up at 9 a.m a memorial bridge ceremony will be held on the main street bridge and then a parade starts at 10 a.m in front of the american legion on west front street and will make its way to maple grove cemetery where a short ceremony will be held at the war memorial inside the cemetery get more on our website Finley High School will be celebrating the class of 2021 with an in-person graduation and commencement ceremony on Saturday. We are hoping for a beautiful day and looking forward to a tremendous opportunity to celebrate the class of 2021. Last year, a reverse parade was held to honor the class of 2020 because they couldn't have a traditional graduation ceremony due to the pandemic. Get more on our website. A city in southwest Ohio is declaring itself a sanctuary city for the unborn. After hours of debate, Lebanon City Council made Lebanon the first city in Ohio and the 28th in the country to ban abortion within city limits. The ACLU is planning to mount a legal challenge against the ban. The state's first Vaximillion winner has been announced. 22-year-old Abby Bujenski of suburban Cincinnati won the first of $5 million drawings. What will she do with the money? I know I will be donating to some charities. Further than that, um, I think buying a used car is still in my future. <laughs> and 14-year-old Joseph Costello of suburban Dayton won the four-year college scholarship to an Ohio school of his choice. The next winners will be announced on Wednesday. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, feel free to enjoy your backyard barbecue this holiday weekend without wearing masks. Health officials say the risk is low for vaccinated adults to go maskless, also for uh, children who have not gotten the shot. And it is probably safe not to wear a mask in larger gatherings as well, as long as you use common sense, they say. And all of this is music to the ears of many Americans who are planning to either travel or gather for the Memorial Day weekend after having spent most of the past year limiting activities because of the pandemic. Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System, is uh, on the line with us this morning. And Dr. Coase, I've heard uh, some health officials refer to Memorial Day weekend as the first big test. 
Would you agree with that assessment? I mean, is this the the first big test of uh, where we are uh, kind of in the post-pandemic era? I think uh, that would be a good way to put it, Chris. Um, for, for one reason, there's going to be a lot more, as you've already mentioned, mobility. So there's going to be individuals being exposed to other individuals they may not have seen for a while. There's going to be bigger groups that uh, can get together. We now know about the percentages of vaccinated in addition to those that have had COVID that we're getting to well above 50 percent. And mm-hmm. so I think it's going to give us an idea of how effective the vaccine is. But in addition, uh, still the, the best things to do, it's probability of being exposed to someone that if individuals social distance, uh, wash their hands, respiratory etiquette. I mean, I'm driving through rain this morning and you can look at that a couple ways. Maybe there won't be as many people get together, but one of the big things is ventilation. So if people are outside barbecuing yeah. and doing those reasonable things, I don't think there's really too much to worry about at all. But if there's big groups inside because of, let's say, of rain, the probabilities of being exposed and getting something increase a little bit. But your, your basic uh, point, yeah, we have, we've been really working on this for six months and we're seeing fewer cases. And this will be a test because of those changes to see what happens. And what will be the litmus test? Or, or I mean, what will be the, um, what will tell us whether we have passed this test? Uh, I mean, well, that's that. Well, that's a that's a it's a really good question because uh, we could talk a lot about what herd immunity means, the theoretical number, which is a probability that someone's not going to get things. We're going to still see sub segments of the population. If let's say in a congregate living, nursing home, or any place else, if only half the people have been vaccinated, one person coming in, you could get. Uh, almost all of those people could get infected again. Yeah. And so we're going to see pockets of what occurs. But I think overall, at a community level and at a national level, it's going to be, do we see a spike in the number of cases reported, number of individuals going to the emergency room? What are the admissions? How long do they stay in the hospital? And are they as sick? And we've already seen those things dramatically drop mm-hmm. in addition to because of vaccines, et cetera, people not being as sick. So I think it's and, going to be following the empirical data. And uh, again, what we know uh, from the past year is that will probably take, what, two, three, four weeks to really get a handle on what the impact uh, of that is and whether we have any spread. So if we don't see any uh, significant spike then, does that mean, would that mean that we could call the pandemic over? I think from a definite, and it it depends on what the definition is of how it's looked at, but looking at the, the ratio of the number of people getting it, the percentages in each community, yes, I think that's the definition that's being used for pandemic. Realizing that at least I have an expectation and most physician or epidemiologists do that we will see these these spikes, but the continual will go down. And that'll give us also the summer then to which I think we'll see fewer cases to I don't want to necessarily say officially, but I think people are going to look at it that way. We've normalized. We expect to be seeing covid patients 
maybe forever, but we're going to be able to take care of them. It's not going to be a mass number at least what we've been seeing now and don't expect to see. And it's worth noting that if you kind of extrapolate that on out, a month from now would put us at late June. And so the results of what we see uh, after the um, whatever Americans do this weekend may give us a good indication uh, of what we can expect just in time for the 4th of July, which is going to be the next uh, big event uh, or, or holiday uh, with uh, mass gatherings and uh, so on and so forth. So uh, you can kind of see the dominoes lining up like that. You mention uh, that this is probably something that we're going to have to deal with on one level or another for a long time, if not forever. That leads us to the question, and we've heard uh, doctors talk about, uh, I think Dr. Fauci mentioned the other day, that this is probably something we're going to have to get boosters for this vaccine uh, eventually. Any clue, or is yeah, there any? I, I think is there any educated guess as to whether this would be an annual thing, every couple of years, every six months? What? Well, I don't think we have enough data to really say. But if you look at it theoretically, a coronavirus, the common cold, uh, influenza, <clears throat> things that are respiratory that are contagious, it usually is somewhere around. Uh, an annual Mm -hmm. and now part of it will be also looking at what these variants are not just because they're variants and and what your immunity is of trying to predict whether this is going to end up like influenza where we try to decide if it's h1n4 those sort of things of what's in the world right um i think that's the way the world health organization the epidemiologist but if i had to predict don't know whether it's going to be this year or not but as we see data If we start to see a lot more individuals that have had the vaccine, let's say December and January, starting to get um, coronavirus again, COVID, then there's going to be more emphasis on getting a booster, getting it, whether it'll be a, a change in the vaccine, but some kind of vaccination. Yeah. And lastly, I want to ask you about this real quickly, because the big story in the news past couple of days, uh, the president is looking at uh, taking a deeper dive into how all of this started, whether it was uh, a a, a contact with an infected animal and it jumped to humans or whether uh, it was uh, released in a lab accident um, in Wuhan. From a medical point of view, does that really matter or is this more political uh in terms of figuring out where all this started what is the significance of knowing that medically from a medical standpoint chris it doesn't make any difference at all we we have the problem that we have um and we need to deal with it with whatever not whatever it takes but whatever it started from which animal whether it came out of a laboratory this is the problem we've got right now and that's what we need to deal with I, I think it is somewhat political. I mean, you, you know, everybody can read that. Right. But it's also political from a standpoint of thinking about the next time this happens, wherever it would occur, mm-hmm. uh, of what we need to do worldwide to keep things down. And again, I'm stating the obvious. But from a medical standpoint, this is a problem we've got. It doesn't make a difference where it came from. It's not better. It came from one country or another country. We need to figure out what to do. 
Again, uh, Dr. Bill Coe's Blanchard Valley Health System with us this morning, Memorial Day weekend, looking at uh, the first big test of where we are in terms of moving past the pandemic. So it will be very interesting as the data comes out over the next several weeks uh, after the uh, weekend. Dr. Coe's, thanks very much for taking the time. As always, we appreciate it. Thank you. And as I said, try to stay outside as much as you can. So Memorial Day, of course, the traditional kickoff to the summer season, although officially that will not happen until June 20th. And already we have had a string of several days of 90 degree plus heat. So does that portend a scorcher of a summer season? Well, who better to ask than the experts at AccuWeather, where Jonathan Porter is Senior Vice President of Forecast Operations and Chief Meteorologist. And John, historically speaking, does an unusually hot spring mean that an unusually hot summer is coming? Hey, Chris, great to be with you. And uh, not uh, doesn't one doesn't necessarily go with the other. So um, uh, it's certainly we've had plenty of heat already, uh, as you mentioned, uh, across the great state of Ohio. And uh, we are expecting after a very hot summer last year, we're expecting a, another above average summer. Uh, in terms of uh, temperatures, last year we were almost three and a half degrees above normal. Uh, when you look at the summer season combined, we're expecting that to be uh, closer to 1.5, one, one and a half to maybe two degrees above normal um, this particular summer. So still above normal in terms of uh, the temperatures, and we'll get plenty of that humidity in at times as well. So uh, there won't be any escaping of that, um, as is very typical uh, for the summer season. The other thing is it does look like uh, – will be pretty active uh, with showers and thunderstorms, with a pretty active storm track across the Great Lakes up into the northeastern United States. So that's going to bring the opportunity for uh, showers and thunderstorms uh, quite frequently over the upcoming summer. Not going to ruin plans every day, but something to be weather aware of. We think that that's going to result in uh, above average rainfall for the, uh, for the summer season. Now, you wouldn't know uh, that we're expecting the warmer than normal conditions as you take a look at the weather over this weekend. It's going right. to start cool here, especially early in the weekend, but then end up warming up as we head toward Monday. Uh, but still, certainly a cool start for Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, interesting. Uh, we've already had, as we said, a lot of the heat, which will, uh, it appears, continue. We have escaped uh, a lot of the spring storms uh, here in, in our area, but again, doesn't necessarily mean that we will be that lucky all summer long. What about the trends for the rest of the country? I mean, people are obviously going to be traveling during the upcoming weeks and months. Are there some regions where the expectations are particularly noteworthy? Yes, uh, that, that's a great point, Chris. And, uh, you know, traveling and obviously and maybe also have fr uh, f friends and family in other parts of the country. Two things to highlight. First will be the hurricane season. After a record number of 30 named storms in the Atlantic Ocean um, last year and unfortunately 12 direct U.S. impacts, we're expecting another very active hurricane season this year. Not going to be likely as active. That's hard to beat. It was a record, as I mentioned. We're expecting 16 to 20 named storms in the Atlantic Basin this uh, this year, which is above normal. Seven to 10 of them can become hurricanes and maybe three to five direct U.S. impacts. So along the coast, all the way from Maine to Texas and into the interior, we're letting folks know to be prepared if a hurricane threat emerges this particular year. It's really important to be prepared in those places. 
So that's a concern in the south and in the east. And in the west, it's a whole other problem. Their wildfires were a huge issue last year due to the long-term drought and several episodes of windy conditions across many states. It wasn't just California. Obviously, California gets a lot of the attention, but it was many of the surrounding states as well. And we're expecting, again, an early, a prolonged, and a high-impact wildfire season because the drought has continued to develop and intensify across much of the West. 81% of the Western U.S. is in drought condition right now. Wow. That's not good news wow. heading into the heart of wildfire season. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the key to avoiding weather issues, uh, both at home and when you're traveling, is preparedness. What should we be thinking about in terms of planning ahead with respect to the issues that weather can cause? Well, that's a that's a great point. And a little, uh, what we find is a little bit of preparation goes a long way. So we're here at AccuWeather to help people enhance their safety, um, live better lives, uh, stay healthy and stay safe while still enjoying all of those wonderful outdoor activities that summer is known for. So here's a couple of tips on how we can help on our AccuWeather.com website and also our AccuWeather mobile apps. First is our minute-by-minute uh, weather forecasts, which uh, are excellent because they're right down to your specific street address. We let you know minute-by-minute minute for the next four hours when we expect rain to start and stop. So think of how handy that is if you're going to go out for a bike ride or you're going to... Uh, um, you know, think about getting a soccer game in before uh, rain arrives, things of that nature. Such a handy tool that we hear from so many of our users that they absolutely love. Another thing that's a great tip is to turn on push notifications in the AccuWeather mobile apps. That allows us to send you immediately severe weather warnings if they're issued for your community. It can save your life. We've had people many times tell us that they received a tornado warning, a warning of intense winds, and many other things, flash flood warning, for example, through our app, and we're able to take action to keep themselves and their family safe. We love to hear those kinds of stories. And then, of course, uh, the AccuWeather real field temperature, that is important, especially with the heat and humidity of the summer. We let you know what's the real, what, what does it really feel outside when we combine the temperature, the humidity, the wind, the sun intensity, all those different factors. We let you know what it feels like in the sun and in the shade. And uh, those are all available on all of our AccuWeather uh, websites, mobile apps, and on the AccuWeather television network as well. Well, get the uh, plug in to be sure, because those are uh, really important things to keep in mind, especially when you're traveling, uh, when we have those weather emergencies, because you may not always, it's one thing when you're at home and you hear the uh, uh, watch or warning come out for Hancock County or Putnam County or whatever it is, you know exactly where that is. When you're traveling, you may not be familiar with all of those uh, county designations or regions. And so, you know, having the app to let you know when it is impacting where you are uh, definitely can be a lifesaver. That, that, is such a, that is such a key and very, very important point, Chris. I'm glad you brought that up because we automatically based on your location, we'll send you those notices. So you don't have to wonder, does this impact me or not? Right. Am I in this morning or not? Yeah. You don't have to worry about the county you're in. We let you know. Yeah. Uh, reminder that summer weather can affect us uh, beyond just what the temperature is. Senior Vice President of Forecast Operations, Chief Meteorologist Jonathan Porter, from the AccuWeather Global Weather Center. Uh, once again, John, where do we get uh, more information? Guide us to all of these tools and tips and such. 
Absolutely. Great information available at AccuWeather.com. You can always get your latest local forecast. All you have to do is type in your city or your zip code, and we'll give you all of those details. Also, our AccuWeather mobile apps, which deliver all of that insight and all of that uh, great forecast content right to your phone in an easy-to-use and fun um, user interface that people love. Um, you can download that uh, by just simply searching AccuWeather in the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. You can become the most weather-aware member of your family or your circle of friends through that, uh, through that app, and people love it. And also our AccuWeather TV network, which is all weather all the time, keeping you up to date on your latest local forecast and uh, significant trends that are coming. That's available on the AccuWeather TV network, and check your local listings for that. Chris, great to be with you. Have a great summer. We mentioned a little bit earlier, it is National Heat Awareness Safety Day today. And already, of course, we have had several days of 90 degree plus temperatures. Even though it's going to be a bit cooler over the next few days and into uh, Memorial Day Monday, we know that there is still plenty of hot weather to come this summer. And just like people, sometimes it is pretty easy for our dogs to overdo it in the summer heat. In case you missed it yesterday on the program, we spoke with Yukonuba veterinarian Dr. Joe Spoo about spotting the warning signs in our pets and what to do if we do see them. What does a heat-related illness look like in our dog? Dogs, unfortunately, are very inefficient at cooling down. They basically rely on the respiratory tract so panting to be able to get rid of that heat in their body. And so while they're tremendous athletes, they're very inefficient at that part of being an athlete. And so what happens in these hot, humid conditions is that that system becomes even more inefficient and that body temperature, if activity continues, continues to rise. So do dogs have a a natural mechanism that tells them when they're overheated? I mean, do they know when they need to take a break, get into the shade, get hydrated, that kind of thing? Dogs don't have that ability. And so if we ask them to go out and work and play, they're going to go work and play even to the point of killing themselves. And yeah. so we have to be aware of that situation to be able to shut it down. If it's too hot, if there's, if there's problems, we need to be aware of it and be the you know voice of reason for that dog. Are certain breeds of dogs more at risk or more susceptible than others? Any dog can succumb to this. So even a fit, athletic, heat-tolerant dog is going to have a threshold or certain conditions. You know, in generalities, dogs that are more prone to it are going to be your obese dog, your dog that's not in condition, uh, so that couch potato dog that never really spends much time outside, uh, older dogs. So a dog that maybe was fit and active in its youth as it becomes a geriatric is going to be more prone and susceptible to heat changes. And then as far as specific breeds, any of the breeds that kind of have that smashed face appearance, so your bulldogs, your pugs, your French bulldogs, are going to be highly susceptible. So how would someone recognize the warning signs? And what do we do if we spot those warning signs? So the big thing is, is that, you know, with the stages come different warning signs. So early in the process, in you know, in the heat stress, you're going to have a dog that's trying to move a tremendous amount of air. And so it's not that panting of, hey, I just made a couple of retrieves of the Frisbee or I'm happy to be outside. It is wide open mouth, moving a tremendous amount of air. So it's very, very roaring. And that tongue is going to be hyperextended, so it's going to appear longer than you ever thought your dog's tongue was. They'll flatten that out. And then as part of that open mouth, you know, dry mouth with the panting, they get a thick, ropey saliva. So it's not that drool that, you know, when they're begging for a bite of sandwich, 
it's a thick, ropey, different character to the saliva as well. As we progress into that heat exhaustion, I tell owners that a dog's going to have a help me look to them. So they no longer are enjoying what we're doing and they're looking to you for help. And if you see that, you absolutely need to shut things down and address it. If we miss it, then the dog will progress to stumbling. They're unaware of their surroundings. Mm. Um, from there, as we get into the heat stroke category, the dog can collapse. We can have seizures. As the internal organs are affected, we can have vomit, diarrhea. And then, unfortunately, the ultimate issue with this is that dogs can ultimately succumb to this condition. Obviously, we don't want to get to that point. I, I have heard it said that if a person is overheating, you need to cool them off uh, like with cool water, but not cold, that cooling a person too quickly can be dangerous. Is that the same with dogs? Yes. It, it, the big thing where people will sometimes default to ice, and I will use ice in dogs, but I'll use it deep up in their armpits, you know, deep in their groin where there's major blood vessels. To your point, if we kind of generally chill the outside of the dog, what can happen is, is that you can actually have constriction of those external blood vessels and we have the opposite problem of what we want. And so what I like to do is to get these dogs wet. It doesn't have to be ice cold water, but then air movement. And so if you're out at the dog park, get that dog in the car with the air conditioning blowing across that wet dog. If you're at home, get some fans blowing and get that air movement, you know, evaporating that water working to our advantage to try to cool these dogs down. Now, none of this means that we can't take them for a run, for some exercise, or take them to the park to chase a ball or fetch the Frisbee. What are some ways to keep them cool while we are exercising our dogs, while we are outdoors enjoying the nice weather, playing with the dogs, and so on? The biggest thing is being aware of the situation. And again, as we discussed, we're in control of this. And so, you know, on that day we wake up and that's high heat, high humidity, that's probably not the day to go do those outdoor activities. You know, where people get into to trouble is they wake up and it's been in the 90s and now it's 70 and it feels cooler to you, but that humidity is still 85, 95%. That's going to be a situation that is very dangerous to those dogs. And so taking into account both the heat and the humidity and then the other area is the environment in which you're doing your activity. So let's say we're going on a run on the bike trail. Be conscious of that black pavement. And if the sun is out, that, that that sun can really heat that pavement up to the point where it's infinitely hotter down at your dog's level than it is up where you're walking in that breeze. And so being aware of the situation and not putting your dog into the scenarios where they potentially could suffer from a heat-related illness. And so it really is on your and my shoulders to prevent it. Again, our conversation with Yukonuba uh, veterinarian Dr. Joe Spoo about spotting the warning signs of heat exhaustion and worse in our pets, what to do if we see them. Uh, again, something to keep in mind as we get into the summer heat. If you want to hear the full interview with Dr. Spoo, uh, that would be in yesterday's podcast edition. Go to goodmornings.net and uh, check out yesterday's show for the full uh, interview, more information, more great advice. And we also have a link up uh, there at the website for uh, more details from the folks at Yukonuba. Uh, so check that out online. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update in the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. 
It's actually kind of a uh, light day in the uh, broken news, so I thought we would uh, check some of the uh, stories that uh, types of stories that we don't normally cover in the uh, broken news, but are uh, interesting and uh, rather eyebrow raising, nonetheless. Uh, numerous women are accusing a nationally known acting coach of uh, creating a fictional role as a way to get actresses to send in explicit videos to him. Uh, apparently, Troy Rowland told the uh, actresses that he was working uh, on a show called Power, and one of the roles was for that of a stripper. There was a need for someone to fill the role of a stripper, and I uh, had them send in tapes <clears throat> auditioning for that particular role. You can imagine what he was looking for in terms of audition tapes. Come to find out from the casting director on the show that the role was completely made up, that it didn't, <laughs> that it didn't exist. And they additionally said that Mr. Roland never worked on the show. An anonymous woman who sent in her audition tape says she feels violated. Well, yeah, I would think so. Uh, one woman has filed a complaint with the Federal Trade Commission. I would imagine we haven't heard the last of that story. Man, some people. Uh, let's see here. Saw this story on the political file. Do you believe in Bigfoot? Sasquatch, that creature said to stand between seven and nine foot tall, between 600 and 900 pounds and live alone in the forest? Oklahoma State Representative Justin Humphrey uh, was uh, took to the Oklahoma Senate floor, the state uh, Senate floor on Wednesday, announcing that the state of Oklahoma will offer three million dollars for the live capture of an unarmed uh, an unharmed Bigfoot. <laughs> the state of Oklahoma <laughs> has put an official bounty on Bigfoot. Uh, he says a film crew will be documenting attempts to find the mythical ape-like creature over a six-month per uh, period with a tentative air date for a television series in January of 2022. Uh, Representative Humphrey insists that the search is not a hunt and said we want the whole world to come to southeastern Oklahoma and to the state of Oklahoma and get involved in our bounty. <laughs> and people complained when Ohio's governor was giving away a million dollars to get the vaccine. <laughs> They're putting up $3 million of taxpayer money for the capture of an unharmed Bigfoot. Well, okay then. See, this is what I mean with the Vaximillion uh, drawing. If... You know, if they don't give away the money to you and I for getting vaccinated, they'll find another way to spend it. And it will probably make even less sense. Here's a perfect example. Kind of interesting off the business wire. General Motors is teaming up with Lockheed Martin to produce the ultimate off-road vehicle. Not only is it an off-road vehicle, it is self-driving or it will be self-driving, still in development and electric powered. Uh, that's because it is the ultimate off-road vehicle for the moon. The project announced yesterday, no, Wednesday, 
uh, still in the early stages and has yet to score any federal money from NASA. This is a report from the AP, but the goal is design, uh, to design light yet rugged vehicles that will travel farther and faster than the lunar rovers that carried Apollo astronauts in the early 70s. Mobility is really going to open the moon up for us, according to a former NASA manager who is now the vice president for lunar exploration at Lockheed Martin. The rovers used by the Apollo 15, 16, and 17 moonwalkers ventured no more than about four and a half miles from their landers. GM also helped design those vehicles. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. You talk about the ultimate off-road electric vehicle. That would be it. And I guess we would need one of those, especially if we colonize the moon, because it'd be hard to get gas stations up there. And no speedways on the moon. At least not yet. And... Um, how about this from the uh, science file? Again, it falls under the category of the broken news just because it's a little unusual. I've been following the news of those billions of cicadas arriving after 17 years underground, brood X. And not only are they noisy, but also they have been raining on unsuspecting people. Yeah, they're urinating on people. Billions of these cicadas... And they've been really it's uh, uh, it feels like when the rain just starts and you get a small drop or two and you say, is it starting to rain? But no, it's the cicadas. As adults, it turns out cicadas are active on the hottest days because they can tap into the dilute watery xylem fluid of deciduous trees. Evaporation of moisture is what cools their bodies, kind of like human sweat and dogs pant. But an excess of fluids forces them to urinate liberally, it says. Uh, thus, cicadas ingest the tree fluids more for cooling than they do nutrition. And so it passes through their body rather quickly and they pee it out. <laughs> so not only are the cicadas loud, they're everywhere, they're kind of creepy looking, but they're peeing on people everywhere. Uh, scientists say to protect yourself, wear a hat or carry an umbrella when venturing into cicada territory. Just one more reason why you can be glad we don't have these here. That's not what we need. There you go. Some of the, uh, broken news, this, uh, update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines brought to you as a public service, more or less of Hancock County veteran services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is the sound of a popular American motorcycle. It's the sound of freedom, the open road, really good times. And this is what it sounds like with a drunk guy in it. How do you like the sound of that? Cops are cracking down on drunk motorcycle riders. If you ride drunk, you will get caught and you will get arrested. Drunk riding, over the limit, under arrest. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Transportation. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. And of course, as you have probably heard, AAA is projecting more than 37 million Americans will travel 50 miles or more away from home uh, for this holiday weekend. A big change from last year, because you remember AAA didn't even bother to make a forecast last year. Uh, we were in the throes of lockdowns and so on. 37 million People of those, 
3 million will be traveling by air, and that is double the number last year. There were only about 1.5 million people who traveled through the nation's airports in 2020. That means 34 million Americans will drive 50 miles or more. Even with gas at a six or seven year high of just above $3 a gallon on average nationwide. And where are we going? Advanced bookings show Americans are returning to some of their favorite places, says AAA. Orlando, Las Vegas, Palm Springs, and Myrtle Beach are four of the top destinations, according to AAA data. Uh, By the way, overall, 37 million travelers represents a 53% increase in the number of travelers from a year ago. A 53% increase, although it should be noted that is still 10% lower than the number of travelers in 2019. So we are not yet completely recovered, but we are getting there. Are you even awake? Not yet. <laughs> I haven't even had, I had like a tiny sip of coffee and that's all I've had today. <laughs> You're sitting over here and you look like you are in a fog. I am. Like you are in a daze. I like am. you are not fully awake yet. I am not. My <laughs> wife Kyra has joined us in the studio. <laughs> At home. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, we are, we're actually in the bunker today. We're uh, broadcasting from the... Uh, Home studio. That's uh, why I'm not awake. That's why you're not awake. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, what a way to start the weekend. Uh, hey, by the way, before we uh, get to the uh, recipes, I happen to see a food-related story on the uh, Newswire, and I thought you would be uh, interested in this. You know, back in the 1980s, uh, we ate a lot of processed foods, and that is, uh, of course, fallen out of favor these days. We don't eat. Uh, we're, we're much more informed. We're much more cognizant uh, okay. about how unhealthy some of those they foods... They are. I don't know if I am. <laughs> <laughs> People in general okay. are more okay. cognizant okay. 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 of uh, how uh, unhealthy was, some of those foods really were. Person, so. Do you know uh, the, the 180s food, take a guess at what the 180s snack food... Uh, that was the worst of the worst. This is according to a report in Yahoo, uh, Yahoo the News. Worst the, the worst, worst of the worst, uh, nutritionally. 80s snack food. 80s snack food. And I will give you a clue. It was discontinued in 1991. Oh. Uh, it came out in 1984, discontinued in 1991. Hmm. I don't know. I was thinking Pop Rocks, but I think Pop Rocks no, is no, still no. out there. No, Oreo Big Stuff. Really? The worst of the worst. I was going to say Oreos. Oreo Big Stuff. Oreo Big Stuff. Okay. Uh, each okay. Uh, of the- I love Oreos. It was uh, introduced in 1984. Oreo Big Stuff promised to deliver more chocolate and more cream yeah. than the original Oreo. Each of the cookies was about three inches in diameter yeah. and clocked in with- 319 calories and 13 grams of fat. In one cookie? Per cookie. Wow. (laughs) I know. 309, that shocked me. 319 calories and 13 grams of fat. When you consider a regular uh, serving of Oreo, which is uh, three regular Oreo cookies, is 160 calories and seven grams of fat. Wow. 
So hmm. that's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I didn't realize that. Now you can still get Oreo mega stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You can still get those. And two of those cookies come in at 180 calories, nine grams of fat and 17 grams of sugar. Yeah. So. And most still of that's probably the cream healthy. in the middle, which everybody loves. Still less healthy than the original Oreos, but not as yeah. unhealthy as the Oreo big stuff from back in the 80s. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That is. 319 <laughs> calories and 13 grams of fat. Wow. <laughs> Uh, time for an update or uh, the latest collection, uh, rather, of recipes from uh, Kyra's Kitchen. My wife Kyra is here, and um, we, I know it would be really easy to just say, hey, we're going to do some grilling recipes. Everybody be yeah. grilling, but you're not going to grill every day no. for the summer, so we're going to do some stuff in the in the kitchen. Yeah. And we're going to start with tortilla roll-ups, yeah. beef tortilla roll-ups. Yes. These are, are good um, if you're going on a picnic or somewhere or, you know, or going to a family okay. gathering, something easy to put together and okay. take and let them do the grilling. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so uh, one ounce package of cream cheese softened, one envelope of original ranch dressing, one package of dried beef and five to six large uh, flour tortillas. Yes. Um, soften the cream, cream cheese, add the ranch dressing, uh, chop the dried beef, add the, add that to the cream cheese mixture and mix that all up really well. Uh, warm your tortilla in a microwave for about 10 seconds. That helps get it soft and yeah. stretchy. Does not take very long. Right, right. Uh, spread cream cheese filling over the tortilla all the way to the edges. So then it kind of gets uh, ski, sticky all the way around so it's easier to roll. Okay. So then um, start at one end, roll your tortilla tightly, um, and then uh, repeat with all your tortillas. Um, and then wrap them in plastic wrap. That helps keep them. You can put like two of them Pla or one of them in, in one thing, a plastic wrap. Okay. Plastic wrap as opposed to aluminum foil? Yes. Plastic wrap. Okay. Yeah. Plastic wrap. Put them in and then refrigerate for about an hour or so. Then remove them from the refrigerator and slice them in uh, half to an inch, depending on how thick you want them. Okay. Um, uh, slices. So they'd be like bite size. Yeah. Uh, yep. tor tortilla bites. Yeah. Uh, yep. So maybe so. we should call them beef tortilla tortilla roll-up bites. Yeah, there you go. If you uh, slice them up like that. Yep. Of course, you wouldn't have to slice no. them up like that. I nope. suppose you, if you want a you you know, big tortilla, yeah. there you but go. But if you want to share. But really easy. Yeah. Really easy. Yep. To go along with that, we have a, a recipe for roasted red potato salad. Yes. So this is three pounds of red potatoes cut into quarters, uh, two tablespoons of olive oil, olive oil, and the Montreal steak seasoning uh, to taste. Um, then a half a cup of mayonnaise, a cup of sour cream, a cup of celery, uh, thinly sliced, um, a half a teaspoon of dried dill weed, a half a teaspoon of garlic powder, a half a cup of chopped sweet onions, and two hard-boiled eggs and two tablespoons of dill pickle relish. So preheat your oven to 400 degrees and line your baking dish with foil. Toss the potatoes in olive oil and season them. Um, and then place on a single layer on the baking sheet. Bake for about 30 to 35 minutes. Um, stir them up. Make sure they're getting golden brown on all sides. Mm -hmm. uh, probably about maybe 10, 15 minutes in. Uh, start doing okay, that. Okay, about halfway yep. in. You just flip yep. them over. and Yep. Yeah. yep. And then, um, and then um, until they're golden brown, fork tender. Uh, not, I mean... 
it it can't I mean it doesn't even have to be tender just kind of because I like my potato salad a little crispy okay so I so mean, depending on how yeah, uh, how, how crispy how you, like you want your yeah. potatoes yeah. in that okay yeah. how crunchy you yeah. want your potatoes so then allow those to cool for about yeah. five, 10 minutes so while those are cooling then you could put together your your mayonnaise your sour cream uh, your uh, celery your dried dill dill weed your garlic your sweet onions your boiled eggs and your pickled relish so mix all that together and then um, add that to your potatoes and uh, put it in a bowl, seal it up, and chill for about an hour. There you go. Uh, that is actually the most complicated recipe of the three. Yeah. Uh, yes, the uh, tortilla roll-ups, uh, obviously very easy. Yeah. And for dessert, this is extremely easy. Yeah. It is a uh, homemade fruit dip yep. recipe. So chop up your all your favorite fruits. And then um, for your dip, um, seven-ounce jar of marshmallow fluff. Eight ounce cream cheese, softened to room temperature. Two tablespoons of frozen orange juice concentrate, thawed. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't make the juice; just the concentrate. Okay. Okay. And then your your fruit for dipping: your strawberries, your grapes, your pineapples, whatever you like. Um, so spoon your marshmallow fluff into a large bowl, microwave microwave safe bowl, um, microwave for about fifteen seconds or so. And then whisk in your cream cheese, your orange juice concentrate, and whisk that together until it's smooth. If you want to use your electric mixer, you can. Um, Let it um, chill overnight and then serve with your fruit. Simple as that. Simple. That is a, a great easy, and it's really good. Yeah, great easy uh, yep. dessert, uh, great easy treat, healthy yep. treat uh, to serve at your uh, Memorial Day weekend gathering. Yes. So there you go: the uh, tortilla roll-ups, the roasted red potato salad, and the fruit dip. Those recipes are posted at our Facebook page, at the WFIN Facebook page, and linked up at GoodMornings.net. My wife Kyra with her recipes from Kyra's Kitchen this morning. Heading into the big Memorial Day weekend. Kai, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that'll put a wrap on our podcast for today. Remember, no show on Monday for the Memorial Day holiday. Taking a little extended weekend. Hope you have a terrific kickoff to the uh, summer season with your friends and family. Maybe seeing folks for the first time in a long time. So uh, pretty exciting stuff there. Uh, We'll be back on Tuesday. Open Arms Findlay celebrating 40 years of serving those in crisis in the community and they are celebrating big we'll learn more about that until tuesday morning that is good mornings for this morning now that you've had a good morning go on out and make it a good day a great weekend and we'll catch you back here next week